NCBC. It's great to be here with you all again. My name is Andrew, and over the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been going through a series on honor and shame in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And in this chapter, Jesus gives three parables or stories on lost things. And last week, we looked at the first half of this well-known parable of the lost or the prodigal son. And today, we're going to be looking at the second half of this incredible story, as well as closing out this series. And, you know, before we dive in and before we dig into God's word, I just want to thank Pastor Paul and Dylan for once again allowing me to come and share in this time with all of you. And I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like I've learned so much through this series and through this, through my studying and through researching and studying God's word and, and examining myself. I feel like I've just learned so much and I hope that it's been beneficial and helpful for you as well. And so before we get started, um, I would like for you to join me in a word of prayer as we look into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, that you are a good God, that not only are you the God of the universe, but you choose to refer to yourself as our Heavenly Father, as our Abba Father. And I pray that as we now come to your word and as we look at the second half of this incredible parable, that God, that you would speak directly into our hearts, that you would illuminate our hearts. And so we commit our time to you. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Now, before we dive into the second half of this parable, I want to briefly uh, recap the first half, just in case you missed it or as as a refresher. Now, this parable centers around three primary characters. One, we have the father, we have the younger son, and we have the older son. And the parable begins with the younger son asking his father for his share of the inheritance, which would have been considered extremely disrespectful and dishonorable and shameful, especially in a culture where patriarchal authority was supremely valued. And, you know, I mentioned this last week, and this was not only true among the Jewish people and the Jewish culture, but all of Rome and the Roman Empire as well. In fact, in every family in Rome, there was a person who was called the paterfamilias, which is a title assigned to the oldest living male in every family, and usually it was the father of the house. And according to Roman family laws, the patria or the patriarch held legal privilege over the property and the dependence of the family. And as a head of the household, the patria had this duty to raise healthy children who would grow to become future citizens and who would serve and be good citizens of Rome. And not only that, they were to maintain the moral propriety and the well-being of his household. In other words, he was responsible for the well-being and the care and the provision of his household. And lastly, he was to honor his clan by being a good citizen and serving and paying taxes to Rome. And by making this, this request, this younger son had dishonored and essentially shamed his patria or the patriarch because basically by asking for his share of the inheritance, he was saying, Father, I wish you were dead already. And according to Jewish law, the father had every right to take his son before the elders of this village or town and have him stoned to death. But remarkably, it says that he actually grants the younger son's request, which would have been seen as doubly shameful, for him and his entire family. And in a culture where 
Honor was the social currency of the day. The father had risked bankrupting all of the respect and credibility that he had built within the community. But he did it anyway. And he gave him his share of the inheritance, which would have been a a lot of money. And after receiving his share, the younger son sets off to this distant land where he ends up squandering all of his wealth on reckless, wasteful, extravagant living. And then it just so happened that a severe famine comes upon the land that he's in. And with no money and no one to help him, he has no other choice but to go and feed pigs for a living. And feeding pigs didn't even pay him enough for him to even get a decent meal. But then he comes to his senses and he decides to go back home to work for his father as a hired hand. So he gets up and he makes the long journey back home and Soon after arriving back into town, it says that the father saw him while he was still a long way off and he ran to meet him, which is something no self-respecting Jewish man would do in this culture. And not only that, but it says he threw his arms around his son and he kissed him, which is not only a sign of deep affection that he had, but of approval and acceptance and welcoming. And if that wasn't enough, The father tells his servants to go and bring the best robe to cover him, to bring a ring and and place it on his finger and some sandals for his feet. And all of these items signal to everyone there that the father had restored his son's place within the family. It's a very, very big deal. And on on top of that, the, the father then tells his servants to go and prepare the fatted calf which was reserved only for special occasions to celebrate his son's return. And as I said last week, he most likely invited the entire town to come and celebrate in this feast with him. This is important because by doing so, the father was attempting to restore the son's honor and dignity, not only in his family, but among the entire community in the town as well. And in a culture where honor was everything, the father had essentially saved his son's life. And if the story, this parable ended right there, it would have been a great story in and of itself. But this is only half the story. Because remember, the father had two sons. And as great as the story has been up until this point, it's not complete without the story of the older son. And so with all that said, and with the backdrop now said, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at the rest of the story starting in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he came near the house. He heard music and and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because He has him back safe and sound. Now, I'm going to pause right here because this is an important detail. I think many of us tend to sort of gloss over whenever we read this parable. And as I've highlighted here in the slide, uh, this entire time as the party, the celebration of the younger son's return was in full swing. It says, where was this older son? He was out in the field working the family property. In other words, from the perspective of honor and shame, he was fulfilling 
his duty as a good son. And in this short phrase, that he was out working in the field, we get a glimpse and an idea of the kind of person that he is. Now, um, I'm sure that uh, many of you celebrated uh, Lunar New Year a few weeks ago, and it might have looked different than what we're tra- traditionally accustomed to. And, you know, growing up, I, I remember uh, going uh, to this Chinese restaurant with our parents. There was this one um, Chinese restaurant that we would uh, go to, and, and, and at each table, I remember they had these uh, paper placemats with all the zodiac animals, and it looked like this. And as you see that, some of you would be like, yeah, man, I remember seeing those at my uh, Chinese restaurants that I used to go to. And maybe some of you have seen these before. But, you know, every time I saw that placement, I would find the animal that matched my birth year to read what it had to say about me. And in case you're wondering, I'm a horse. And this is what it has to say about us horse people. It says this, that you are popular and attractive to the opposite sex. You're often ostentatious impatient. You need people. Marry a tiger or a dog early, but never marry a rat. Now, obviously, um, we shouldn't judge or label people uh, based on their zodiac animal. But you know, in this case, with the older son, we do get a snapshot, the kind of person he was in that short phrase. And you know, that this description of him being out in the fields would not have come as a big surprise to the crowd as they were hearing this parable because in, a, in this culture, older sons were expected to be hardworking. Older sons were expected to be responsible and loyal to the family. So it was expected that he was out working in the field and the fact that he was doing that actually showed and proved that he was the honorable son. And so he finally comes home after a long day of work to find out that there's this huge party being thrown for his younger brother who had just come back home. And his response should have been to rejoice and celebrate with everyone else. But it says, instead, it says in verse 28 that he became angry, furious, and refused to go in. And so his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, that word for angry here in verse 28, is a kind of anger that wishes to punish the offender rather than focusing on the offender itself. It's not that he was just mad and angry, but that he wanted to enact punishment on that person. In other words, the younger, the older brother's anger wasn't simply about what his younger brother did, the wrong that he had committed. It went much, much deeper than that. You know, a few years ago, I went through um, some counseling sessions to address some of my own anger issues that I had. And the therapist pointed out that the anger that I had actually came out of a deeply rooted sense of resentment. 
you know, after multiple sessions with him, I, I began to see and discover that the resentment that I had, this anger that I had was actually towards my parents. And even beyond that, ultimately, my anger and resentment was really towards God because I didn't think he was fair. And I, don't think, I didn't think that based on what I had done, all the things that I had done for him, that he had been fair to me. You know, in many ways, I think this is how the older son felt towards his father as well. Because it wasn't that he was necessarily angry for what his brother did. Ultimately, he resented his father for taking his younger brother back and throwing this extravagant party. His anger and resentment wasn't directed towards the brother necessarily, but towards the father. And so because he was so angry, he was so furious, he refused. He even stepped foot into this house. And back then, you have to understand, it was customary for the older son to go in and welcome the guests and offer compliments to make sure that the feast went well so that the father could focus on entertaining his guests. And it was expected, even for the older son, to honor the one who was being celebrated. In many ways, it's sort of like, let's, let's, let's have a toast for so-and-so person. And it happened to be his younger brother. In other words, it was his duty as the older son to uphold and honor, uphold the honor of the family within the community. And so by refusing to even step foot in the house, this would also be viewed as an act of great disrespect and dishonor to his father and all of his guests. So what does the father decide to do? The same thing he did with the younger son. He takes the initiative to go to where his son was. He pleads with him to join in the celebration. And that word for pleading here in verse 28 indicates a repeated effort to persuade his older son. You see, it wasn't just a one-time request. It was a continual pleading. He was begging for his son to come in and join in the celebration. And as I mentioned in the beginning, this is not something the patria of the family would ever think about doing in this culture. And by doing so, the father was risking his own honor and reputation by going out and pleading with his older son in front of all of his honored guests. But still, even though the father pleads with him, the son refuses. He was so angry and so resentful. And why was he so resentful? We find out in verses 29 and 30, it says, All these years, all these years, I've been slaving for you, and you, and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. In other words, he was saying, you know, all this time, I've been hardworking and responsible and loyal, and honorable, everything that is expected of me. And yet, you've never recognized or appreciated what I've done, and the honor that I've brought to this family. And yet, when this dishonorable and shameful son of yours comes back home, you throw a huge feast for him, and you invite the entire town. You know, as I mentioned last week, this act of sharing in a meal together, 
It signified one's approval and recognition of that person. And in many ways, it was a way of elevating the honor of the one that you were hosting. But in the eyes of the older son, there was nothing honorable about what a younger brother did. He should have been shamed and disowned by his father forever. You know what's interesting about the older son? Is it about how the older son responds is the fact that he never addresses his father as father, his brother as brother. In verse 29, he responds by saying, look, look here, which would have been considered extremely insulting. And not only that, but he refers to his brother as this son of yours. Now, my brother, it's your son, in verse 20, 30. Meaning that he didn't even want to be associated in any way to his brother. Basically, he was saying, look, look, this is your problem. This is not mine. Speaking of problems, you know what? I've done everything right for the sake of this family. Whereas this younger son of yours has done nothing right. And at this point, the father, after hearing all of this and hearing this complaint, he could have ignored his son and gone back inside to take care of his guests and say, you know what? There's more important things to take care of right now. And he had every right to punish and even disown his older son for addressing him in such a disrespectful way. But look at how the father responds in verse 31. This is what it says. It says, he says, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now I want us to notice how the father responds. And instead of responding back in anger or demanding his son to obey, which he had every right to do, he says to him, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. In other words, You've got it all wrong. I've never considered you anything less than my precious beloved son. You're not a slave. And I've never once saw or considered or treated you as one. And you of all people know, know should know this, that everything that I have will be yours one day. All of this will be yours one day. So remember, you're not a servant. You're an heir. And I acknowledge and I recognize that you've always been loyal and honorable. But son, we have to celebrate because your brother was considered dead, but is now alive once again. I thought he was lost forever, but he has been found. And as you read this, it may seem like the father maybe responded a little bit more harshly to his older son than his younger son. I mean, if you think about it, the younger son should have deserved a much harsher response from the father, but the father hardly says anything to him. It just doesn't seem fair. But the reality is that the father has never stopped being a father. And just as he was driven with compassion towards his lost or prodigal son, he showed tremendous compassion towards his older son. 
And instead of rebuking him or disowning him, the father chose to extend tremendous kindness and grace. And he gently reminded him of his position and his standing as a beloved son and a future heir to the entire estate. You know, as I study this and as I look at this story, you know, what I find interesting is that both the younger and the older sons had essentially forgotten who they were. The younger son felt that he was no longer worthy to be called a son after what he had done. And the older son actually felt that he wasn't even considered one by his father. But the reality was, the truth was, they were never seen by the father as being just mere hired servants or slaves. They were sons and heirs, not because what they had or had not done, but because from the very beginning, that's who they were in relationship to their father. And according to the father, nothing could ever change that or take that away from them. And this is what the father wanted his older son to understand. And not only for him, but for his younger brother as well. But, you know, this entire time, the, the, the older son had misunderstood his relationship with his father. He mistakenly believed that in order to maintain his position and standing, that he had to earn it somehow by being honorable and responsible and by doing everything that was expected of him. And over the years, he had lost sight of the fact that everything was already his to begin with. I mean, he had full access to the father's estate and it was all there for him to fully enjoy and all there for him to fully inherit. But somewhere along the way, he assumed that he had to work in order to earn it, maintain it. And this mindset shaped his relationship with his father and his brother. You know, as I think about that, I find this to be true in many Asian families as well. Because there's this assumption that love and acceptance must be earned and maintained through one's performance. And so if we don't get the best grades, if we don't get the best schools or if you don't get the best jobs, it means that we haven't measured up or that we failed our parents somehow. And there, you know, there's even this joke um, about how you know, we're not Asians or Bijans, that we're Asians. It's funny to us because in many ways it's so true. And there's even this common notion of how Asian Americans are seen as the model minorities because of how we seem to excel in school and how we seem to excel in the workforce. And I believe that this is in large part due to the influence of our Eastern heritage and this culture of honor and shame. And the danger is that this mindset of being honorable and respectful and responsible can influence our relationship with our Heavenly Father as well. And I say that because it's essentially what happened to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They believed that in order to be accepted and approved by God, that they had to uphold and that to follow all the rules. And as a result of faithfully obeying the rules, that they would be elevated then to a place of honor and dignity and status and worth within society. But in the process, they lost sight of what really mattered to God's Hearts. And if we're not careful, we too can fall into this 
dangerous, dangerous mindset as well. And so the father goes to where his, his older son is, takes the initiative, and reminds him of who he is, that he is not a slave or hard worker. He's not an indentured servant, but he's a beloved son, and future heir to the estate. And after reminding him of who he is and all the blessings that he has full access to, the father says to him in verse 32 again, we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the story ends right there. And we're left with all of these questions. I mean, did the older son end up joining in the celebration? I mean, was the relationship between him and the father restored? Were they able to hug it out? And, and not only that, what happened to the family? What happened to the party? Was the father able to reconcile the relationship between his two sons? I mean, all these questions. I mean, does the spinning top ever stop spinning? I mean, was this all a dream within a dream? So many questions that are left unanswered. You know, and I don't know about you, but you know, endings like these drive me crazy. And the reason why I don't like endings like this or cliffhangers is because I feel that you know, I've invested so much of my time and so much of my emotions to, to, in watching this movie or binging on this show. And I don't like having to wait for another season or a sequel in order to find out how this story ends. And this is why I, I at the same time love and hate movies like Inception. Because it was, the movie was engaging, it was intense, it was exciting. Storyline was great. It's actually one of my, my favorite movies. And, and it was exciting because everything was leading up to this ending. And, and I was hoping to finally get answers. Was it a dream or not? But in the end, I was left with more questions and answers. And Christopher Nolan. Uh, you know, in the same way, Jesus ends this parable with a cliffhanger. <laughs> We're left with more questions than answers. And the fundamental question that, I'm le- that we're left with is why? Why would Jesus end the story in this way? But remember, Jesus was speaking to very two very distinct groups of people. On the one hand, there were the tax collectors and the sinners who were considered the shameful ones. And on the other hand, there were the Pharisees and teachers of the law who were considered the religious elite and therefore held the places of highest honor in Jewish society. And it's clear from this story that the younger son represented these tax collectors and sinners while the older son represented these religious leaders. And in this story, in the parable, we know what happens to the younger son. And we know how the father restored him back to a place of honor despite the shame that he had brought upon himself and the family. And it's clear that the younger son was once lost but has been found and has been restored. But what about the older son? What's going to happen to him? And if indeed they represent the religious leaders, then what is Jesus going to say to these Pharisees and teachers of the law? You know, I really like what Jason George says about these religious leaders, and I'll put it up here on a slide. He writes this, he says, 
They are the reason he does not finish the story. They need to finish it. Jesus is functionally saying, I'm offering love and forgiveness to these people. Will you, the oldest son, come in and join the welcome home party? And then Jesus ends the story mid-scene because the listener's real-life response to this invitation is the conclusion of the parable. In other words, Jesus was inviting these Pharisees and teachers of the law to join him in celebrating the return of the younger brothers. But unfortunately, they were too blinded by their own lostness. Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, he puts it this way. He said, the younger brother knew he was alienated from the father. The elder brother did not. That's why elder brother lostness is so dangerous. Elder brothers don't go to God and beg for healing from their condition. They see nothing wrong with their condition. And that can be fatal. You know, if you think about it, the father, in many ways, was more like his younger son than his older. They had more in common. Because the younger son is described as being wasteful or prodigal. And that word prodigal can also be understood as being extravagant. And we see that in how the father responded to his son's return. In how he demonstrated an extravagant love and forgiveness and kindness on someone who did not deserve it whatsoever. We can look at that and we can say, man, what a waste. Why would you waste all of that on someone like him? The father just could not help but to be overwhelmed with love and compassion for his son. Whereas the older son lacked that essential quality of compassion. You know, even though he had all the markings of being the honorable and respected son, what he lacked was compassion, forgiveness, and grace, which are the very qualities that Jesus is most known for. And so you could say, if you kind of look at the big picture, that from God's perspective, Jesus is the true older son who brings great joy and honor to his heavenly father by reflecting his heart of compassion to his younger brothers. But sadly, again, these older brothers had completely missed it because they were so blinded by their own sense of honor and by their own sense of self-righteousness. Because if they really knew the father as they claimed they did, they would have been the first ones to extend compassion. And they would have been the first ones to celebrate the return of the sinners and tax collectors. And they would have been the first ones to, to, to rejoice with him. But instead, to show contempt and disdain and disgust to their younger brothers by condemning them, rejecting them. In the eyes of God, this was dishonorable shameful. You know, a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, I'm sorry, um, I had the opportunity to listen um, to a missionary share his journey of being uh, called, him and his entire family, to Morocco. And um, prior to being called, he was like many of us. 
And he had a good job. He had a great family. He served his local church. Going about life. Doing what we normally do. But a couple of years ago, uh, or a year ago, his wife had introduced him to this idea of becoming a full-time missionary. And at first, he responded by saying, whoa, whoa, wait, no way. I mean, he was too comfortable and happy right where he was. I mean, why would he give everything up? He had a good job. He had a great house. They just bought a house. Everything was going well. But then his wife convinced him to go to this missions conference. And at this conference, one of the missionaries and speakers asked everyone there this question. He said, what is your alabaster jar? What is your alabaster jar? In other words, what are you holding on to so tightly that God may actually be wanting to, for you to let go so that he can break it? And what is the one thing that you are afraid of letting go and trusting that he will actually take care of that thing? You know, this was a pivotal question that led him to committing his life as a full-time missionary. And soon, their entire family will be heading off to Morocco. They gave everything up in order to serve and share the gospel with the people there. You know, as I thought about that, and as I think in light of this parable, I, I want to ask a similar, same, that same question. You know, what is your alabaster jar? And what is it that's preventing you from extending compassion and grace to your younger brother or your younger sister, and I'm not talking about in your immediate biological family, but I mean in spiritual sense, in the relationships around you. What's preventing you from extending compassion and grace? Is it a fear of maybe being rejected or shamed? Is it a fear of maybe having to let go and, and give up something or a lot of things in order to build Bridges between them? Or maybe honestly, you just don't feel the need to do anything. I mean, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not hurting anyone. And, you know, you're just a good person. You Overall, you're, you're just living life. Everything's going well. But you know, that's precisely what the older son thought as well. Because he was going about his life thinking that by doing what he was doing and living the life that he was living, that he was honoring his father. What he failed to realize that he was actually doing the opposite. Because if being good was the standard, then this older son, and more specifically, these Pharisees and religious leaders would have been praised and honored. Again, Jason George, he, he puts it this way, and, and if you could just listen, this is really great. He says, if Jesus had focused on saving his reputation and honor, what would he have done when the Pharisees and scribes grumbled about him eating with sinners? To save face, Jesus could have turned his back on the tax collectors and sinners and walked off with the religious leaders. What did he do? Considering the interests and status of others as a higher priority than his own, Jesus stood in solidarity with the excluded and told the three parables in Luke 15. And as a father in the parable did, Jesus stepped out on their behalf to restore identity, community, and honor. And it was a costly demonstration of unexpected love 
something Jesus did in a much greater way at the cross. You know, as I said, in many ways, Jesus serves as the true example of what an older brother should do in this parable. Because Jesus had forfeited his own honor, his own status. And he even gave his own life so that we, you and I, could be reconciled. So that we could be restored back to the Father. And just like with these religious leaders, he's inviting us to let go of our alabaster jars and follow his example. And the question that I think he's asking all of us is, what, who is your younger brother? Who is your younger sister? Because from our perspective, the younger son was lost. And you know, from the perspective of our Heavenly Father, he just hasn't been found yet. And as his beloved children, he is calling us to go and seek and pursue those who are far from him so that they too would come back and join in the feast and be elevated to places of honor and worth. And so that they may discover their true identity as beloved children of our heavenly father. And FCBC, as as this is missions month for you, I want to encourage and challenge you to pray and ask this question again, God, who is my younger brother? And who is my younger sister? And then go and invite them to the great celebration and joy of knowing and being fully known and loved and accepted by our our Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me as we close? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you so much, God, for your word. And as I prayed in the very beginning, I pray that your word would illuminate our hearts, that it would speak into us. And not only that, it would challenge us to ask the question, who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who are you asking me to go and invite and share this good news with? And I pray that God, that not just through this message, but just through this entire series as you have gone through, that you would do a work in bringing healing into our hearts and that you would bring restoration in some of our most important relationships as well. And I pray that, God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would actually be doers of your word. We thank you, God, for this time. I thank you so much for this opportunity. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, I want to thank you for joining me these past few weeks. It's been a privilege and an honor of being here with you all. And I hope you have a great week. God bless you.